Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week I had some grand plans because this is going to be our final episode of 2023. So I had some grand plans. I was going to get a new guest we haven't ever talked to. And then I just, uh, too many things got in the way. We'll call it kids got in the way. Basketball games and basketball practices and band concerts. And so therefore, I do not have a new episode this week. Although what I'm going to do is many of our Backlash podcast listeners probably don't tune into the Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Fishing Podcast. So I did an interview about a year ago with Joe Booker, and we were talking about crankbaits and depth raters and things like that. So I'm going to cut up some of that audio. I'll put that together. I wanted to do a proper intro because, like I said, this is the last episode we're going to put out for this season. We will return again in January on January 10th. That's a Wednesday. So we're going to take off for a little while and kind of reset, regroup, and, you know, kind of just re-energize, I guess I would say, is how this is going to go. And then, uh, you know, like, so we'll have a couple episodes before we head out to the Chicago Muskie Expo, which would be January 19th, 20th, and 21st. And when I say we, I mean the entire muskie industry, but more specifically, I mean Brad and Carrie from Muskie Mayhem Tackle, because they've made this journey for the past 250 plus episodes of Backlash Podcast, you know, half the fun that we've we've had. And you know, I'll say, you know, we, we go back to May 25th of 2019 was the day. That was the day we released it all. Back then, we had grand plans to start a podcast. There, We weren't the first, right? We, we were definitely not the first. But what we wanted to do was bring an educational side to musky fishing podcasts. At that point, I felt like, you know, they were entertaining, but they weren't necessarily educational. And so that was kind of the plan. It was to bring you weekly content that helped you catch more muskies. And I'd like to think that over the past 250 episodes that we've accomplished that. And, you know, like some of our episodes have been, you know, far greater success. I would say the whole podcast has been a far greater success than what I could have ever dreamed it to be. Have, you know, looking back when we started, I thought, you know, if we could get 100 people to listen to this podcast every single week, that would be that'd be great, right? You stick 100 people in a room, and that's a, that's a good number of people. And, you know, to be honest, I'm just blown away by all the people that have reached out to us about the podcast, how many of them have had success because of it, how many of them are thankful that we continue to put it out on a weekly basis. And for that, I thank all of you. Like, I truly do. I thank all of our loyal listeners. There's, you know, far more than 100 that tune in every single Wednesday in fact, I mean, at some point in the, I'd say it's going to be the distant future, but the somewhat near future, you know, I'd say in the in a year or so, maybe a tad longer, depending upon, you know, how things bounce back for us, and uh, you know whether we whether we can retain our listeners for another season, you know, we should push that one million download mark at some point. I would say, you know, in the next year or so, and you know, for that. That's honestly, that was never even a goal of mine. I never even thought we'd have a chance to attain it. And quite honestly, I never thought that we would put out consistent content for what, almost five years, I believe, you know, and I, I guess this taking this break is kind of difficult for me because like I've been through, like we continue to put out podcasts through the loss of my brother, continue to put out podcasts through the loss of my dad, numerous unbelievable seasons where we're, you know, very, very busy in the shop, tons of life events, 
lots of stuff going on with the kids. We've continued to put it out. And so now we're at one of our slower points as far as like business goes. Like December isn't a crazy busy month. Yeah, we like Christmas and we do well, but it's not our busiest month of the year. And so it seems weird to be stepping away for essentially no reason other than just to kind of reset my mind, kind of reset the, uh, you know, the, the whole podcast, try to, you know, I, I guess we're, we want to come back better in 2024. So I am going to stop rambling. If you want to, if you still need gear, make sure you check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. Also check out Brad and Carrie from muskymayhemtackle.com. Like I said earlier, we will be at the Chicago Muskie Expo, so mark that down in your calendars because we only have a couple weeks once we return to the podcast before we, you know, start putting out, uh, we'll put out two two weeks worth of content, and then, you know, the second week, literally days after that is when we return, or we'll be returning to show season, and so that, uh, during this time, I guess my time away, I'll definitely be doing a lot of that. There's lots of stuff to do, trailers to dig through, clean out. Make sure we have all the lights and accessories that we need to get ready for the Chicago show. But once again, I just want to thank everybody for their support of the podcast. We couldn't have done it without you. And, you know, it's been a tremendous success and it's all to you. So thank you. All right. I'm fortunate enough to have my guest today be Joe Booker with Joe Booker Outdoors. And the reason I have Joe on is because he builds or has built, I guess he's probably not building them anymore, some of the most legendary baits in musky fishing, you know, with uh, the whether it be the depth raider, the shallow raider, his booker tails, his top raider. You know, I'm sure most every one of us has some or all of them in our tackle box. So, Joe, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to tell him, come talk tackle with me today. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about it, Jeff, and I, and I really, I, you know, it's, it's always a humbling experience to think back on the, all the lures, you know, that I originally uh, built, and I built them, you know, originally as tools for the job when I was really in the guide business, and some of them really were created almost by accident, and, and they've become, uh, you, know, you know, a staple for so many musky anglers, and we've sold so many thousands of them over the years, and and uh, it's a humbling thing to think about uh, looking back, and it's almost like it's almost hard to believe that the Dutch Raider, the Top Raider, and the Shallow Raider, and, and the original Booker Tail, you know, what started it all. That it's just mind blowing to me that um, you know that I created this business almost, you know, almost by accident. Well, let's talk about the creation of the business. So you got the guide thing going on, and I'm sure it, you know that was probably keeping you plenty busy. What point did you say, yeah, I think I need to add a little bit more work and add a tackle company in here? Well, it kind of happened by accident. And uh, the original concept, you know, started with building, rebuilding, rebuilding a lure, a bucktail, a spinner, a, you know, inline spinner. You know, today people call them inline spinners. Back then they were called bucktails. And most of, you know, there was only a handful of bucktails available back in the, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s for muskies. And mo- almost all of them, featured multiple treble hooks. The bucktail was tied to the treble hook and the treble hooks were too small. So what would happen is uh, during a lengthy fish battle, um, you know, on bigger muskies, these hooks would bend out uh, or they would rust out. Or when you're trying to get them out of a muskie or cutting them out, you know, you'd ruin the lure. And over time I'd have, you know, this bucket full of broken uh, lures sitting, you know, sitting around, and I started rebuilding them. And you know, you got to you got to remember too. Back when I first started guiding, you know, I mean, I was barely making 
barely barely making ends meet. Really wasn't making ends meet. I mean, I was doing a bunch of other things, you know, to make sure we put food on the table. I was making twenty five dollars a day as a guide. Eventually, I got to thirty five and fifty dollars a day as a guide, and that was like I was expensive. And <laughs> back in the day, and um, hiring a guy today for less than three hundred dollars is kind of a joke. But back then, that's the kind of money I made. So. I didn't have a lot of money to, to, to go just buy lures, so I would rebuild mine. Anyways, long and short of it is, I came up with the, a concept. When I started rebuilding some of these old old spinner lures, I just split ring down the treble hook. And gee whiz, that was the birth of the bookertail. Were we the first inline spinner to ever split ring a treble hook on a lure? Maybe not, but we were the first one to actually you know make it and make it like you know, uh, commercially available that way. And my, my whole thing was, uh, what I realized was that, you know what? One bigger treble hook connected to a big muskie definitely holds these fish through a long battle far better than multi treble hook, small lure, uh, small hook lures. That's how it started. And so I started making, you know, rebuilding these lures. I didn't know how to tie, you know, hair back in the beginning. I was just rebuilding some of the old lures. And, you know, they were pretty gaudy looking, pretty. One day with a guide client and most of the lures that were, they, 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 even the names of the lures, they were named by guide clients. And this, the Booker tail is like the classic example of this. The guy's name was Guy Jensen, Dr. Guy Jensen from Fond du Lac. He's still, I think he's still practicing. Uh, anyways, he, he was a guide client of mine in my early days and uh, we were having a slow day. He said, he looked over at me and he says, uh, I, he says, I'm sick of throwing these big jerk baits and stuff. He says, give me something. So he says, give me that darn booker tail over there. I said, what? He says, give me that booker tail. And, you know, he named the lure. Boom. So I'm, I'm, I remember, I'm not making it, and I'm not marketing any lures. He names this lure the booker tail, right? It's like one of the beat-up, re- rebuilt lures in my boat. And, of course, he happens to catch a really nice muskie out. And what did we do with the muskies back in those days? You know, there was no catch and release back in those days. So we kept the fish. It goes into the into the freezer at the uh, local sports shop. And we had this glass top freezers back in those days. All the tourists that would come into town, look in the in the freezer and see a, the muskie. And what it was caught on, they go in the sports shop and buy one or two for, you know, their trip that week. You know, the sports shop owner says, well, I can't call that bait a bukatil unless you, you, know, you make some and, and, and provide some for the store here. I'm just going to write bucktail on it. Dr. Jensen says, no, no, you want my muskie in your freezer, you're going to call it a booker tail. So anyways, he looks at me and goes, you better go home and make some booker tails. That's how the lure company started. (laughs) Can you believe that? Here's my wonderful wife, and and we're sitting on the kitchen table, tying for the first time, you know, trying to tie and make booker tails from scratch. So we're taking apart these lures to figure out how to do this and we, t- we tied the first Booker Tails, by the way, on copper tubing mm-hmm. until we, you know, and then we started built, started using throttle cable, you know, a lawnmower throttle cable after that, which worked way better. But the original Booker Tails were tied on, on, on brass copper tubing. That's how the Booker Tails started. That's how the lure company started. And then, of course, all the other sports shops around there, you know, go, hey, you're going to sell so-and-so these lures, you know, make a few for us, too. And so that's that's how it started. So then let's talk about the hard line, especially yeah. specifically the depth rater. When did that come yeah. around? Well, I know depth rater is a favorite of yours. Absolutely. The depth rater was a product of originally, you know, 
if you think about it, there was a time. I don't know how long you've been musky fishing, but if you can remember, there was a time in musky fishing where most of the lures thrown were topwater. Not that it's any different today, but topwater, blades, and jerkbaits. You know, two or three jerkbaits, a bobby bait, the suic, and maybe the eddy bait. That was it. And there was a handful of people fishing crankbaits, especially the people out east, you know, they were trolling. You know, and the most popular lure was the pikey minnow, and which is, you know, no, I don't think any, many musky anglers today even have one in their box. So, you know, me being a bass fisherman, going to bass fisherman, I used a lot of crankbaits. And I, you know, so I was, I was open to the concept of crankbaits. But back where I'm going with this is that originally most crankbaits that were available, even for muskies, were made of wood. And wood and muskies just don't mix, right? I mean, over time, you know, especially the wood lures made back then, the teeth sink into them, they tear them to pieces. And, you know, sometimes your best lures, you know, the, the obsolescence, you know, was, was magnified quickly because they, they just wouldn't last more than maybe eight to 10, 10 muskies at most. And, you know, the best lures you had, best crankbaits you had would fall apart. So I started, uh, you know, thinking on the terms of plastic. And, you know, there were very few plastic lures, even the crankbaits, even available back then. And you know, I was using saltwater lures, mural lures, Cisco Kids, gosh, lesser known products that were all made of plastic and then i wasn't happy with the way they performed i like the i like the action of the wood lures and the color patterns and everything of the wood lures but i, I love the durability concept of plastic and musky anglers by the way back then did not like plastic it's hard to believe today but there was a time when musky anglers were like if it isn't wood i'm not using it long story short i started talking with some again guide clients guide clients you know guide clients in that were in the tech, in, in the, uh, that were molders and stuff like that. And I had a molder from Chicago that was a guide client. And, uh, we built some prototypes of, uh, of various, I mean, the original prototypes of the depth reader, you would love it because there was, there was, there were so many different prototypes of the depth reader versus what we actually ended up coming out with. Long and the short of it is, you know, I finally took like the best of all the lures, all the different lures that I was successful with. I came up with, you know, what do I want in a crankbait that would be successful? I want that beautiful wobble and action. I want it to be durable. I want it to be molded in. You know, I want the diving lip to be molded in so it doesn't go out of tune. And, you know, and no hook, you know, none of these screw eyes and hook hangers and stuff that would come undone. And that's, you know, that there was a long process. You're working even with an engineer who was a guide client. My dentist friend, uh, Dr. Jensen, who named the Booker Tail, ended up actually building a few prototypes out of dental acrylic. Built, the original depth readers were built out of dental acrylic, by the way. <laughs> and it was a long process that eventually led to the first depth reader. The first depth reader ever made uh, out of a prototype mold caught over 200 muskies uh, on that lure. And it was, it was just a hand-painted... You know, it wasn't well-made, but it was built tough. You know, it took over 200 muskies. And, and before we, before I retired it, when we actually came up with the production model. I got to tell you, I love hearing the backstory on it, especially because like you'd mentioned, I would say the depth raider is probably still the bait that I've caught the most muskies on. 
You know, I used to do a lot of trolling in, I, I quite honestly, until today, I actually thought that you built it for casting, but I used to do a lot of trolling and it, like that bait would get bit literally every single lake that we would put it on. I mean, it was, you know, there's something about a depth rater, right? So I love hearing the backstory on it. It's awesome. Well, it warms my heart. It warms my heart to hear that. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it was, I did a lot of trolling growing up uh, because I'm a, you know, I'm a product of Fishing Fast Magazine. I'm a product of Buck Parody. I cast it and I trolled. You used you used a technique and a tactic versus a situation. And trolling wasn't real popular for muskies, you know, in yesteryear. But you know, I wanted to build a lure that could could withstand trolling and casting, but withstand pounding. You know, collisions with rocks and bottom. And you 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 know where I'm coming from. You know, a lot of lures can't withstand the pounding, and that's that was the concept behind the original depthery was built so that it could withstand slamming into rocks and, and you know constant collision with cover so that's what made the depth reader that was one of the real concepts behind we're going to build a lure that's bulletproof i guess that we've had countless muskies caught on them i want i can't i wish i could remember my personal best i want to say that was caught on a depth reader as well but there's a lot of details I can remember about musky fishing. For some reason, I can't remember what bait that was caught on. It was part of a double. We had two fish on at the same time, and I'm assuming at that point they were, they were probably both depth raider fish because there there would literally be times where we'd be running pretty much all depth raiders because that's what they would that's what they would eat. I mean, we would try other baits and and you know we'd have some success, but more consistently and more often, you know, the depth raider got bit. And so, let's talk about that. You know, you uh, you built it as a trolling bait. Then you, you kind of transitioned it over to a casting bait. You know, what made you want, like, what's, what made you want to start casting it? And then the other thing, too, about it is, you know, what's your technique, I guess, with the depth raider? Well, he, the, the reason I, I, I say the trolling bait, too, is that this was, this was surprised people that I built this trolling bait. I built this trolling bait originally because you got to remember the eastern musky market was the trolling market. The midwestern market was the casting market. And that's changed a little bit today, obviously. But there was a time when our early early development of our lure business that we were building lures. We couldn't sell bucktails over in over in the east, and we had friends over there, you know, that catching all these big muskies on whatever, you know, pike from pikey minnows. You know, believers and swim was were huge in those days, right? Um, we needed to build a good trolling lure so we could increase our business, and we were and we were also hoping to get into the saltwater business. And what what ended up happening was, you know, I was. I even started casting them, you know, in the Midwestern waters. The jointed version, by the way, you know, was, was like a product of the pikey minnow. The most popular pikey minnow in the, back in the original days was a jointed pikey minnow. I wanted something to have that, that clicky, click, 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 you know, that kind of that wobbling action and that jointed thing going. And so I, I basically just cut a, a straight model death rater in half put dental acrylic on both, you know, in the, in the pockets on both sides and built the first jointed depth raider. It, it's, you know, it ended up being this amazing lure that, that actually in many cases worked even better casting than the straight model because it was just so productive at, at, at triggering muskies. And it was an incredible night fishing lure. And we also noticed that, you know, the, the jointed believers were such a popular lure out east. And so that was one of the reasons why we wanted to build a jointed lure and, you know, that whole believer, swimless and believer thing, the success that, you know, the Eastern guys were having trolling and their acceptance with plastics also, in, you know, encouraged us to build the, the depth reader. So, you know, I, I, my hat's off to the people that built, 
you know, like Home in the Blank in the original swim list, you know, the Believer was really a, a you know, a spinoff of the swim list. And I don't know the backstory, but I know that it was basically, it was the same lure kind of built by different, you know, by guys that were, you know, I have no idea what the politics were behind it, but the original was the swim list. You know, the, the jointed depth reader and the, and the straight model depth reader kind of built up the same concept. So originally, we end up marketing the jointed depth reader more than the than the straight model in the beginning because it, it was more popular in sales-wise. And, and that's not true today. I don't know what the exact numbers are, what we sell annually on, on jointed versus straight model depth readers and what your, even what your company does in, in terms of sales. But um, that's how we originally sold it. And my big concept, uh, you know, behind the, behind the, you know, always behind the death rate was durability, you know, durability. And then secondly was being able to catch muskies in a zone below where most of these other guys were fishing. And most of the muskie anglers, as we know, even today, most of these muskie anglers, if they're not throwing rubber, they're fishing shallow. And so we were fishing a zone by trolling and casting that most muskie anglers simply weren't getting to back in the day. So, Joe, to answer your question, I would say that straight model sales are probably at least five to one over jointed, I would imagine. And, you know, for my own personal use, I use way more straight model depth raters than jointed as well. That's cool. That's interesting. You know, and there was a time when Beth and I were still running the company when the jointed, uh, the jointed depth rater, I think, might have outsold the original straight model depth rater. But, you know, it's. And in our shallow rater, the straight model shallow rater way outsells the jointed uh, jointed shallow rater. Yet my jointed shallow rater, I've always said, is one of the most underrated lures, if not the most underrated lure, and just an under under appreciated lures in, in my entire line because man, I've caught a lot of big fish on those lures too. Well, my assumption would be at some point this fall there was a bo- uh, there was a bite on shallow uh, jointed shallow seven inch jointed shallow raters on Green Bay because. <laughs> I definitely sent a bunch to some guides out there. So there must have been going out there in Green Bay at one point. Music to my ears. I love to hear it. Yep. You know, you know what's really neat? I'm sorry for interrupting. You know what's really neat it is, and I mean that warm, it, it warms my heart because it's so cool, and your listeners will love this, because it's so cool to, to create something that ends up being something that everybody else uses and has success with. And you personally having all success with a depth reader, it's so cool because, you know, be creating a lure that everybody likes and uses is it's as good as it gets. You you catching a fish on my lure, and your customers buying those lures and catching fish on them is like it's such a great. It's it's very flattering and humbling. And the other thing about it too, Joe, is it's been a, essentially a timeless lure, right? I mean, how long has the death rate been around for thirty years, probably? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've had to change some things on the death rate over time, and in fact. You know, if we can briefly just hit hit on that, you know, some folks would say, well, I wish Joe would still build depth triggers the way they were built in, in the beginning. The biggest change in a depth trigger from the, the, the original ones we made to today is the plastic material, which we couldn't get anymore. Now, we, we used to build the depth raters out of a material called butyrate, and the molder wouldn't use, wouldn't buy, wouldn't stock it anymore and wouldn't mold it because it was so hard to use and it was so expensive. And butyrate is what they built uh, chisel handles and screwdriver handles out of initially, and I wish we could still build the depth rater out of butyrate, but we couldn't get the material. And so that's why we had to make the big switch to uh, high-impact ABS, and some anglers today that have been using a depth rater for 30 years still like those old original butyrate models, and I wish we could build some for them, but uh, I can't get my molder to, uh, to stock the, the material to, to mold them. 
nowadays with everything that's gone on with COVID in the last few years, I'm sure it didn't get any easier. Boy, I'll tell you, that's been a big problem. And, uh, you know, one of our biggest problems, you know, is getting people in a shop to make the lures. You know, we're, you know, I'm sure you're dealing with it all the time with, with supply and demand. And we just simply getting skilled people to, you know, back in the early days of making the depth reader, think about it. In the early days of making a depth reader, one or two people did all of the assembly, all of the painting, all of the packaging. One or two people saw every lure that was made. So, Quality control, manufacturing problems literally didn't exist because, you know, you, you, they had a handle on it and they built tens of thousands of them. Today, just you can't keep labor. You know, getting skilled labor is tough. Uh, the people that built my depth traders initially, they're not even alive today and their company isn't even around. So, you know, it's, it's been a real challenge to, uh, to, to retrain people. And then keep them in the workforce and keep, you know, keeping well-skilled, well-trained people in the workforce is always a challenge today. Yeah. I mean, you guys had that new facility down in uh, yep. Southern Wisconsin and you still yep. don't even have that all the way up and running, do you? Believe it or not, we do. And it's exciting. I'm glad you mentioned that because we have a painter and we, we, yes, we're operational. We are, we have one painter and this is good. His name is Ben White. Great guy, very, very skilled artist. Yeah, we're trying to take, you know, the lure manufacturing back, not only in the United States, which we have done, but also right in the state of Wisconsin. But our biggest problem has been, it has, we got all the, the investment in, in machinery and tooling and everything else. It's just labor. It's getting people in, you know, the COVID didn't help at all either, of course. But, you know, just getting, teaching people skills and, and, and giving people in, in the house. But yes, we do have somebody in Genoa City, Wisconsin, <laughs> actually, he's probably in the shop right now painting lures. And there's a guy that assembles them that's in his late seventies, so it's the same guy assembling every lure. Unfortunately, that's not the only place they're being built. But what we're trying to do now is transition that eventually to where it's all being built right there in Genoa City. And and my hope is that, but uh, you know what, you know, I have somebody else running the business in these, you know, now that I'm, I'm semi-retired, I'd have Ken Robinson actually running the business for me. And, and to Ken's credit, it's been a challenge because back when, when my wife and I ran the business, you know, we had, yes, we had control of everything and they were all working under the same roof with us, but you know, we don't run the business today and Ken uh, has trouble just getting people to show up for work. Yeah, I think we all have that problem. That's half the reason. Yeah. And I want to say that was part of the reason why I started this tackle business is because, you know, as a younger, uh, I, was still, I was still a younger electrician. I'm not that old, but I was younger yet. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this until I'm 60 and I can't find enough employees to continue to run the business, you know? So I was like, what am I going to do? We were making decent money electrically at the time. And I was like, well, let's start this tackle thing once and see if this works out. If maybe, maybe it'll be something by the time I'm 50, you know, and, and then, you know, here we are today. There's that labor issue that, that created this business essentially. That's cool. That's a great story. And so you can appreciate what we've, what we've gone through and, and, you know, and I, I apologize to even any viewer out there that's ever run into any, any manufacturing or, you know, paint different colors and stuff like that are different from the originals and manufacturing issues. But I can tell you, we're not alone. You know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of, you look at modern, it's everything from automobile manufacturers to, you know, to, to our, you know, to what you dealt with to our lure company and even our, you know, our friends and competitors in the industry, they're, 
it's a constant problem. And what Ken Robinson's dealing with down there in Genoa City, we got hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in painting booths and molding equipment and ceiling, you know, ceiling fixtures and stuff. And uh, I hope someday you come down, you can take a look at it and see it for yourself, but you'll see that it's all there. But we got to get people in there that are skilled that can actually do it and work there. And, and that's been a problem when people are sitting at home and they're, you know, they're not motivated to come come in and, and not only come to work, but learn a skill. And, and that's a challenge in today's world. And, and it really is a challenge for manufacturers, no matter what product and brand they're in. And, you know, this facet of, of building products in today's world, it's, it's a big problem. And, and uh, it, it's, it's not just my lure company, but it's also it's a big problem all over. Absolutely. You know, it'd be nice if we, if, if they got that all squared away, cause I could use probably about 10 more custom colors. We think we have, I don't know, like six, maybe we could definitely yeah. use some more. That's for sure. Well, now the custom colored, I think I introduced you to him. That custom color guy is Ben White. He is in charge of all the custom colors. Now he builds all your lures. All the custom color lures are all coming from the Genoa city plant in Wisconsin. Excellent. Yeah, he should hopefully be working on at least a couple more for me here. Pretty oh, soon. he is. Yep. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So, you know, Joe, let's talk about straight versus jointed. You know, one one thing I think is anglers don't necessarily know when to use a straight versus a jointed. What's your, I guess, rule of thumb on that? I have a, a couple of good rules of thumb on that. You know, and the, I think that when in doubt, you know, just go fishing. You know, if you got both models, and, you know, one of the things I like, I like the jointed lure for night fishing. I like the jointed lure for slower retrieves, dark water, clean bottoms. I think the straight model being a buoyant up and down a straight model lure is much better over cover uh, because, like, for example, when you want to bounce the lure through snags for, through over weeds, uh, the straight model goes through weeds way better than the jointed does even though you can you can do both. I like the straight models of trolling lure much more than jointed, even though I know I have got friends, including Chaz Martin, that, you know, destroy muskies on jointed depth traders trolling. But that's kind of my way of doing it. But you know what? It's one of the other ways to do this is forget everything I just said and just let the fish tell you. If you fish, if you're trolling especially, this is easy to do. Put out one jointed, put out one straight. If you're board fishing with multiple lines, put out a couple jointed, Put out a couple straight, and you'll notice that you'll notice a fish preference or a, a lure preference, excuse me, more often than not. And then you can double up or triple up on, on, on the lure they want. Now that being said, even if you shifted off the depth rate and went to the joint to the shallow rater, there's no doubt in my mind that the straight model shallow rater, and same same can be said about the about the depth rate, but the straight model shallow rater is a much more versatile lure. It's a jerk bait and it's a crank bait all in one. The jointed shallow reader is strictly a straight retrieve crankbait. For example, if I'm fishing over reefs, shallow reefs in Canada, you know, one of our favorite things to do, right? You and I are out fishing and you, you're throwing blades and, and I'm going to back you up. I'm going to throw a jointed depth reader over that reef because I can bounce the reef. I, can, I don't have to do anything fancy with it. I can, in windy days, I, windy days, I like jointed lures. Jointed lures, both the depth reader and shallow reader in the jointed lure, throw better against the wind than the straight model lures do. So if I'm on a throw, if I'm on a windy day, I tend to use the jointed lure more than the straight model. Uh, straight retreats, I use the jointed model. Running over top of shallow reefs in Canada, two, you know, those one to three foot reef tops. And I do this a lot even at night. 
where I fish in Wisconsin, Minnesota, or, or Canada, I fish the jointed bait. Simple, cast it out, retrieve it. There's a little bit of pull and, and, and you know, a little bit of jerk and release your line tension when you're bumping into cover. But, you know, everything's more subtle. And then just bringing the bait along, and it, I, I have tremendous success doing that. The jointed lure, because it's a straight retrieve lure, is deadly in the figure eight. The straight model, um, when you use it as more of a jerk bait, it's less effective in the figure eight unless you change things up. And what I mean by that is what I what I do with straight model lures, crankbaits, a lot of guys will fish them as jerk baits. They jerk them all the way to the boat. And then they do this dead sticking thing, especially with minnow baits. Not as much with deep divers, but although some do. That makes them poor figure eight more. What I like to do is jerk the lure Thirty percent of my way back to the boat, you know, and, and then when I'm clean of cover, I turn it in. I just switch off, and then I turn the, the lure into strictly a crankbait, and then I finish with a strong figure eight. And what I my theory behind that is, I want to make the lure more attractive. If the fish didn't strike it as a jerk bait early in the retrieve, I want to make it much more attractive for that fish to strike it at the boat on the figure eight. And we both know that that's a deadly time to catch muskies is at, at the bone of figure eight, you're going to have a much higher rate of success figurating a straight retrieve lure than you are a jerk bait. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, Joe, I was going to ask you, back in the day, you know, kind of date myself a little bit, you used to have a book out called Joe Booker's Crankbait Secrets. Is that still in publication? Yeah. It is not. I've had a lot of encouragement to do from several sources to, to publish it again. I did not, you know, it, I, it was it was published by Krause, uh, Krause Publications, and not, I don't even think know they think they exist anymore. It was a it, you can still get some on eBay, but you know it's it's interesting because it's become it's very flattering. It's become a bible of crankbait fishing for people all over the world. You know, it's cool that I get five star ratings on the book all the time, and you know it it takes crankbaits, you know, and just teaches people how to, everything about crankbaits, all the A's and Z's of crankbait fishing. Takes you through my entire career of uh, and, and study of crankbaits and all the dynamics and all the engineering behind all the different crankbaits and why why a lip is in a in a lure at a certain position and what it does to, to action and diving lip and you know blah blah blah. There's all, it's all there in that book. If anybody really wants to learn more about crankbait fishing and the deadly the deadliness of all the the whole crankbait category, it'd be great. You know, it'd be. It, I think you would recommend, right? I mean, that they would, they should get this book. And, uh, but they're hard to find. But we're thinking about doing both a, 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 you know, electronic version of it as well as a printable version of it. And, you know, I still got the original manuscript. But I probably would update it with some new things. But for the most part, you know, as we've talked about, even with the death reader, that stuff is timeless. I couldn't agree more. I have, I'm trying to think, I, so I bought the book, I don't know, a long time ago, I can't remember, when I first got into musky fishing, you know, we all know there's a lot of information out there now that just wasn't as easily available when I first started out, Now I'm scrounging for everything I can, so I'm buying, you know, any any book I can get on musky fishing, anything I can get, I, I love the um, Buck Perry stuff, his stuff is great, I, I loved it, and, you know, I picked up your book, and then I... I moved and I lost it. I was able to get one on eBay probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. And yeah, I would definitely recommend if you're, you know, a beginner musky angler and you're looking to get into crankbait fishing, you know, we can, you and I can have a conversation about crankbait fishing all day long, but there's still so many intricacies that you have within that book that I would highly recommend it to anybody. And if you 
were to re-release it, I'm I'm sure that there would be a, a market for it for sure. I know I'd probably pick up another copy, especially if you did any type of update to it, because yeah, it definitely helped me in my in my fishing and my crankbait fishing. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and but I and I've gotten countless letters from people over the years and comments in person, you know that. I've enjoyed success with it. And, and you know, it, it not only is, is the information in that book timeless, but it's all species. It's all, it's all encompassing from species. And frankly, you know, the, the big redfish and, and uh, all the different species I catch down here in Florida in the winter, it's crankbait fishing. You know, it's, it's, I would say 50% of my, my success. And on the big bull red redfish down here, it's 75 to 80% of my successes. It's all attributed to crankbait fishing. You know, not to keep you too long, Joe, one quick thing, one quick thought on it. Do you actually feel like a crankbait is an underutilized tool these days? Because for me, you know, we we sell a lot of them, but yeah, you know, it seems as though like bucktails and rubber baits have, I would say, kind they've kind of dominated. So a crankbait is kind of an underutilized tool. Would you agree with that or not? Absolutely, it, absolutely. I think it, it may may always be that way because I think the, I think the rubber thing is trendy. Uh, it's obviously success. They're successful, and it's, but it's trendy. The blade thing is, you know, it, it's naturally never changed. You think about the beginnings of your company and you think about the beginnings of my company and the Booker Tail, the number one lure, the number of producing lure, number one selling lure has always been an inline spinner. So musky fishing for decades, for a half of a, half a century has been all about the inline spinner and it still is. You know, there's just a lot more choices today. A lot, you know, the top, you, I would add top water, and I'm sure top water is a big part of your sales too. But learning crankbait fishing is, you know, especially if, you, if you're going to fish the Great Lake, big water fishing, you better learn to crankbait fish. There are very few people today that fish the big water that that isn't part of their arsenal. If it isn't part of their arsenal, I'm surprised. You know, I know. Some of my friends that are guides out there just on Green Bay, just Green Bay. If you don't, if your crankbaits aren't part of your arsenal in Green Bay, you're missing the boat. And I know you sell a ton of lures, ton of, of depth riders and shallowers. People just to fish in Green Bay, right? I mean, so you better learn the art of crankbait trolling, trolling, and, uh, just to, just to be part of that big water environment. And in those waters, even that you know that guys are throwing rubber like like St. Clair or whatever you go you go you go make a trolling pass through those spots of crankbaits you're going to score you're going to score they they you're getting your your lures getting down to the depths where those fish are at so you're going to catch those fish and for the casters the big thing with casting you know crankbaits is that you in, in the hard fish water of northern Wisconsin for just take northern Wisconsin the, the hard fish waters in northern Wisconsin you're fishing a zone where most people, nine out of ten, the boat, the boat landing could be full of musky boats. Nine out of ten of those people are not going to tie in a crankbait. So you, as soon as you tie in a crankbait, you can fish behind those people and score. I have proven it time and time again myself when I fished up, you know, in all the years I fished up there that, uh, you know, first year, I, the first year I fished, yeah, I, you know, first year that we came out with the Death Raider, and for the next three to five years, you know, i catch two to three hundred muskies a summer just between fourth of july and labor day on nothing but a death rate nobody around me was even fishing a crankbait yeah you you want to take your your musky angling your listeners want to take your musking to another level add the crankbait to your tackle box get one snapped onto your line and you're going to score well joe 
one quick thing before I let you out of here. Are you still doing uh, different clips and stuff on YouTube these days? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, I've got a series called uh, Joe, Fishing with Joe Booker Reloaded. And what I've done, uh, thank you for asking that, is it, it, it runs from right after the holidays, from early January till the till like Labor Day, and a new episode every week. And what it is, is it's all those episodes from yesteryear that everybody, that a handful of you only got to see once on TV or, di- or didn't. You, you weren't watching it back then. But Fishing with Joe Booker was on broadcast. You know, if you didn't see it on a Saturday morning, you missed it. Or your DVR wasn't set, you missed it. I'm taking all those episodes, which were 30-minute episodes on, on all you know, musky fishing and all kinds of other fishing, and I'm taking just the musky episodes, pulling them out, so to speak, repackaging them, and, and then making them available and archiving them on YouTube so everybody gets to see them. And uh, you get to see techniques, and you know, like we've talked so many times, most of those techniques are timeless. So you're watching stuff, you might be watching stuff that was in the, in the 80s and 90s, it might be in the early 2000s, it might be just a few years ago. And it's mixed into uh, the product called Fishing with Joe Booker Reloaded. But you'll see, you'll see the early days of the Booker Tail, Death Raider, and Shallow Raider, and Topper. You see it all happen right there on that. on that, And it's Fishing with Joe Booker YouTube. Well, Joe, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to talk about you know Depth Raiders with us. I'd love to have you back on. And you have a bunch of other products. We'd like to get in depth on that stuff as well. I understand you're retired and you're probably itching to get out on the boat today. Hopefully you're getting out on the boat today. So... You know, once again, Joe, I want to thank you, and I hope you and your family have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up at some point here in the this winter. And the same to you, and thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. So that's it. That's my conversation I had with Joe Booker. Kind of, uh, I guess, uneventful end to, you know, the 2023 podcasting and, and 250 podcasts in a row. I think this might actually be episode 252. But, you know, once again... I thank you for listening this week, and hopefully we can you know, continue to put out information that everybody wants to hear in the, uh, you know, in the coming years. Uh, we don't have plans to give up the podcast. I don't want anybody to get nervous that, oh, this is their exit because that's not it. It's just uh, you know, sometimes I, I, wanted to, I want this streak to end in a sense I don't feel the pressure to necessarily put out something every single week, whether we think it's our best work or not. It's just sometimes we just put it out and go, okay, great. We got, we got it done for this week. That's it. I have nothing else to add to this. I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. I hope they have a Happy New Year. I hope that, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for their success of Team Rhino Outdoors and Muskie Mayhem Tackle since 2019 and Backlash Podcast. You know, we can't thank all of our loyal customers. We can't thank all of our loyal listeners enough for the success. All right. So it's, it's up to you. You know, it's on you. We appreciate you. And we, th- we thank you for your, for your time every week as you listen to our podcast and put up with Brad and Brad and I and Carrie on occasion, you know, putting out um, <laughs> nonsense on occasion. But so we thank you for all that. And like I said, I just hope everybody has a great, you know, 2024, a great start to 2024 before we return. And, and thank you again. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll see everybody with a new episode again next year.